Hey everyone, thanks for joining us. I'm Greg DeVries, pastor at The Well Scottsboro, and I'm grateful that you've decided to listen to this podcast. I hope that this word uplifts you and encourages you wherever you are. Stay with me for a few moments after the sermon. I would like to pray with you. I trust you'll be blessed by the word of God. Uh, but he wanted to make sure and let you know uh, his greeting, that he loves you. And also just to remind you that we're reading in the book of John as a church. If you missed that memo last week, uh, we're reading through the book of John. Uh, and we're on John 7 today. And he wanted me to pull out and highlight one scripture to you. So he's got to preach even though he's not even here. He said, he said, read this scripture to him. So this is his message this morning. Uh, it says here... 7:38 was the scripture this is Jesus speaking he who believes in me as the scripture has said out of his heart will flow rivers of living water and uh, that's such a great scripture but if you want to jump on that with us uh, the train of reading John uh, what a precious book I love the book of John learn something every time I read it again and again it never gets old because the word of God is alive it's, it's active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. Amen. So every time we read it, it's not a dead word. It's an alive word. And it brings revelation and it brings truth into our lives. So we could read it over and over again because it's eternal and it continues to go on and on. So Again, I'm so honored to be able to share the word this morning. I want to pray and ask the Lord God that you would speak through me. Lord, that you would use me as a, a mouthpiece for you this morning. God, I thank you that your word is alive. And Lord, it changes us. It speaks to us. It guides us. It sharpens us. It convicts us. Lord, and we ask for all of those things to be done this morning. I pray for open hearts, open minds, Lord, that we would hear and what your spirit is saying to us this morning. And we just give you all the glory and all the honor in Jesus name. Amen. Well, I know how Greg feels, um, Seat, sitting down there and even from the exhortation, it was like, okay, can I get up and preach now? After Joel gave the exhortation, I'm like, yes, Lord, uh, because he was talking about Jesus being the great high priest, right? That he made a way for us and that we can come boldly to the throne room of grace and obtain mercy and find favor in time of need. And so that was exciting. And I'm like, I could get up and preach right now. That would just really go with what I was saying. And then we go into the first song and we begin to sing and worship, and I had to make notes uh, from this, uh, we begin to sing uh, praise, give him praise, give him praise in the highest, wherever we are, from the mountains, from the valleys, from the prisons, wherever we are, and it just fit right in with what I'm going to be speaking on this morning, and I want to speak this morning on a, uh, a question that I feel like uh, that the Lord posed to me yesterday morning as I was waking up, I don't know about y'all, but I always say this when I'm teaching, is that between asleep and awake, that's when the Lord speaks to me. Because I guess before I went to sleep, I was praying, God, you know, I want to hear from you. And then it's like in between that time, right before I get up, I'll hear something. And I'll get up and I'll begin meditating on it throughout the day and pray about it and say, God, is this, what are you saying? What are you, what are you putting together? And I, I kept hearing the word seated, uh, as in it talks about in Ephesians, which we'll get into in a little bit, about us being seated with Christ in heavenly places. Um, but as I began, 
began to think of that, uh, it began to unfold to me that there are many seats that we could be seated, that we can be seated in throughout our lives. And so the question I pose to you this morning is where are you seated? Where are you seated? And seating is not just a place, but it's a positioning as well. Uh, you can look at it literally. You can look at it figuratively. You know, if you're an English teacher, you understand that sometimes uh, even we have to identify sentences if they're saying something that's figurative or if they're saying something that is literal, right? And so throughout these scriptures that I'm going to pull out, I think I scared the graphics team probably after I sent them 35 to 40 scriptures. They're like, whoa, what is she doing? Uh, some of those places we will go to together and read some of that. Some of them I will just make reference to and tell you. So hopefully you're a Bible historian. And if you're not today, hopefully you'll learn some things maybe that you didn't know or be reminded of some stories. Maybe you haven't heard of in a long time. I'm a storyteller. I love the Bible. I love the details. So um, I'm going to pull out a lot of different things today and some different people finding out where they were seated. Uh, but again, I want to look at this positioning. So sometimes when I'm talking about these different places that people were seated, or maybe they sat down to do something, I don't mean literally, I mean spiritually or figuratively, they were putting themselves in, in a certain position. And sometimes we do that. And I look at it and see, here's the thing, you can put yourself in a seat. You can choose to put yourself in a seat. Uh, Pastor Greg likes to choose his seat on the airplane, okay? He wants an aisle seat, all right? He does not want a middle seat. Hello? Hello. If anybody books a plane for Pastor Greg, you're going to know he wants an aisle seat. He likes the leg room. He likes to be able to get out, not have to climb over people, right? All right. So there's times in life that we can choose our seat, but then there's times in life that our seat is chosen for us. How about that teacher that gave that seating assignment and you were between Betty and Joe and you were like, I did not want to sit here, right? But what can you do about it when you're in first grade and you're between Betty and Joe and, and you have no authority to say, hey, I'm not sitting here. You can't do that, right? You're, you're supposed to submit to what the teacher said, right? So sometimes we find ourselves in seats that we have no, we did not choose to sit there. Someone else chose it for us or actually placed us there. How about timeout? <laughs> you know, that seat, the timeout seat, you know, we didn't choose to be put in the timeout seat. We were placed there by our parents or by an authority figure. You know, how many, God's put me in timeout before, a figurative timeout, right? Again, we're talking literal children, but then figurative, we're adults, we get put in timeout, right? The Lord's like, mm, you need a little timeout over there, Gretchen. I don't know what you're saying and what you're doing, but you need to pull it back a little bit. Um, but sometimes we have no choice or no control once we're in the seat. And a lot of people would say, well, yes, we do. We can always choose to get out of that seat and walk away. Well, uh, have you ever been strapped in a roller coaster and been on the top of the... At this point, you have, you have no control. You cannot get out of that seat right? there, You are strapped in, you're on the top of, of the screen machine or whatever you want to get on, the big band. Do they even have that anymore? I mean, like I could be talking some old names. Y'all would not know what they are. All the ones in the room that are like, I know what the Wabash Cannonball was. Okay. Yep. 
right? Has anybody ever heard of the Zippin' Pippin? That was Elvis's roller coaster. Literally in Memphis at this place called Liberty Land, he would go and rent out the whole thing and ride it, and it's completely made of wood. And one time we went, and Greg had a crick in his neck all the way riding. But as soon as he got on the zip and pippin, guess what? He went to the chiropractor. And he was feeling a lot better after the zip and pippin. All right. Uh, but, or, or maybe uh, someone has found themselves obviously in jail or in prison. I mean, they're seated, and, and at this point, they have no control of, of getting out of that seat right away. <laughs> I mean, uh, but then sometimes, let me look at this, the roller coaster, you may not have control once you get to the top, but you had the choice to get on it before it started. You had the choice of waiting in a two-hour line in the summertime, and you're weaving through those, those things, and you're seeing the same people. Every time you pass, you know, you're like, oh, there's the guy in the blue shirt again. Then you go around this way, and you're like, oh, there he is again, you know, and you're going, and you have the choice. Even before you're getting ready to step over into that roller coaster and sit down. You have the choice to be like, mm, nope, I'm out. <laughs> not doing it, not doing it. Uh, my parents went to Dollywood with us two years ago. If you know my parents, they're 74 and 78. Well, they said they were going to ride the lightning. I'm not even riding the lightning. I'm 20 years younger than my mom. I'm a, I am not getting on the lightning. In fact, I'm not getting on any roller coaster at this point in my life. I have gone past the risk taker moment in my life. I mean, I gave birth 12 times. That's it. I'm not, that was my risk taking in life. Okay. I'm not getting on a roller coaster, but they're going to get on it. And I'm like, I'm, I'm almost doing the apostle Paul. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, please. I'm like, do not. I was like, mom, seriously, I, I really, dad's had open heart surgery. I'm like, I don't think this is a good idea. Please don't get on the light. Oh, we'll be fine. We'll be fine. I was like, no, 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 no. I don't, I don't, I don't think this is a good idea. We, they're, they're, hold my bags. I'm, I'm like, now I'm really the Apostle Paul. I'm holding the bags like Saul, you know, of people getting ready to be stoned to death, you know. And I'm, I'm over there, and my mom's handing me her little tapestry bag and getting ready to get on the lightning. I'm, it's weird. I'm like, these don't go together. Tapestry bags and riding the lightning. They don't, they don't go together. And so they get up there to get in line and this sign says closed, <laughs> closed for repair or something like that. And I'm like, there is a God in Israel. Praise God. Okay. Day goes on. My witness, you can ask Levi and, and, and the ones that were with me, Hannah Harvest. I don't know who all was with us. Literally second time it's open. Oh, the lightning's open. Now let's go. So they're like, we go again. It closes again. I'm like, see, I'm telling you, my dad was not supposed to be up on the top of the roller coaster, riding the roller coaster. So God was in control of that, even though sometimes when we're going to make a dumb, cho <laughs> dumb choice or a dangerous choice, God steps in, right? And so uh, I want to talk about these seats, but before I do, I want to tell you, I want to declare again what Pastor Joel said and what we've been singing about. In Psalm 47, 8, I want to turn there really quick to get this started. Psalm 47, 8. Again, just be ready. We're going to turn around to different places. We're going to have a Bible drill. I don't know. Um, 
It said, God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. I want you to know that no matter where you find yourself seated, and when I get into these seats, no matter where you have found yourself before or where you find yourself now or where you may find yourself tomorrow or next week, I want to tell you that God is seated on his throne. And Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, making intercession for us like he was for my parents, not getting on the lightning. God is making intercession for us no matter what we, uh, where we find ourselves or where we've been placed or maybe where we put ourselves or someone else puts us. So that is the good news. So as I go through these seats and I ask you this question, maybe you're seated here. Where are you seated Always remember that God has made a way where there seems to be no way. Amen. God, (laughs) Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So no matter where we find ourselves, we are not completely trapped there because there's always a way out when we have uh, the name of Jesus to call on. And when we have God who is seated over on the throne and over, he actually, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It belongs to him. He's in control. He is a big God. There's nothing too hard for him. There's nothing too difficult for him. His arm is not too short that he cannot save. His ear is not deaf that he cannot hear. I mean, I could go on. I mean, I can preach all day long on God and how big he is, how vast he is, that there's nothing. I was reading just the other day even that says the little sparrow right? He, it says not one falls out of the sky where he doesn't see it. So how much more is he watching and looking over our lives than the sparrow? Amen. All right. Well, let me ask you this. Let me start here. Uh, in first Kings 21, 12, you don't have to turn there. I'm going to tell you just a little bit of story here about uh, a man named Naboth. Naboth had a vineyard that he actually had been given as an inheritance. Very nice vineyard. Uh, He loved it. And it was right next door to King Ahab, though. Y'all heard of King Ahab? King Ahab was king of Israel, married to Jezebel. Thank you. See, I'm going to test y'all this morning. We have a little Bible trivia. I always do that when I'm teaching the students. Always asking them because I want us to know our word. So Naboth in 1 Kings 21 is there and Ahab approaches him and asks him about buying his vineyard. He wants to buy it and actually make a vegetable garden out of it. Just tear down the vineyard, make a vegetable garden out of it. And Naboth is an emphatic no. Um, Why would I give away my inheritance, what I've been given and worked for? Why would I sell that off? You know, I'm not doing that. I'm not, basically, I'm not selling my livelihood. I'm not selling what God has given me. And we need to choose and look at that very carefully. Sometimes we are willing to give up what God has given us for some sort of pleasure or some sort of money or some sort of, of payment. But Naboth said no. It goes on, and in 1 Kings 21, 12, I just want to read this one scripture. Um, Jezebel gets involved. That's always a dangerous situation. When Jezebel gets involved, King Ahab basically goes home and pouts to his wife. Oh, Naboth won't sell me his vineyard. I wanted his vineyard. I wanted to make a vegetable garden. And Jezebel pops up, as she always does, and said, I'll take care of it. I'll get you that vineyard. And 
Naboth ends up finding himself seated. Jezebel sends these letters and says, I want some men who uh, will testify against Naboth. Even though he didn't do anything wrong, I want you to lie. He sa- she said, in fact, I want some scoundrels. I want two scoundrels to testify against Naboth and put him in the seat. And it says here in 12, 21, 12, they proclaimed a fast and seated Naboth with high honor among the people. And two men, scoundrels, came in and sat before him. And the scoundrels witnessed against him, against Naboth in the presence of the people and said he had blasphemed God and the king. Maybe you found yourself seated in a seat of lies or trickery. Maybe someone has lied about you. Maybe someone has, has pulled a, a, a trickery move on you. But I want you to know, again, God is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we could ask or think. You may have found yourself in a seat where people have lied about you. And and as I go through these, I know you're going to be like, well, I'm not now, but man, I remember when I was. And this is just a testimony of the goodness of God that there I was, but now here I am. I might have been there last year, but I'm not there now. I might have been there last week, but I'm not there now because God has delivered me. How many of you know that the word says many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord shall deliver us out of them all. Thank you. Amen. Maybe you are like uh, Joseph. We are going to turn to Genesis 37 really quick because this is one of my favorite stories. Joseph, I'm talking about the Old Testament Joseph, who is Jacob's son. Uh, He was the number 11 son out of 12, uh, born to Rachel. Rachel was the loved wife. She and her sister both ended up, um, because of trickery, ended up marrying Jacob. And uh, so Rachel was barren, couldn't have children. Finally, the Lord opened her womb, and she gives birth to Joseph the golden child, uh, or basically the one that Jacob really loved because he loved Rachel so much. And he really wanted to marry Rachel and was waiting for her uh, womb to be open so he could have a child by a son by her. Joseph is the one that his father made him the coat of many colors. His brothers were jealous. They couldn't stand him. Of course, they called him the dreamer because Joseph had some dreams about, you know, the stalks of wheat bowing down to his stalk of wheat, even the sun, uh, the sun and moon and stars bowing down to him. And again, there's a lot of, of speculation and people say, well, he shouldn't have shared his dreams that early, should have kept on to him. What do you do when you're young and you have dreams? I mean, you don't know what to do with them. Like, man, I'm, I'm just having these dreams and I, I mean... I, I just need to share those, you know, but, but his brothers didn't like that. And so in Genesis 37 and, and um, verse 25, I want to start. Basically, the boys, the older boys go out to the field. They're watching the sheep. They're all shepherds. And then Jacob sends Joseph, his son. He says, I need you to go out and check on your brothers. And Joseph was probably like, mm, I don't know if that's a good idea, but okay, I'll go. Whoops. And they sat down to eat a meal. Then they lifted their eyes and looked, and there was a company of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels, bearing spices, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry them down to Egypt. So Judah, 
said to his brothers, what profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his his blood? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him for he's our brother and our flesh. As they sat down to eat, they began to see this band of travelers coming through. So I'm telling you, all of a sudden, they find themselves seated in the seat of betrayal. They're getting ready to betray their brother. They're getting ready. They've already thrown him in the pit. They've already been jealous. They've already thrown him in there, and they're going to even to the point of wanting to kill him. But Judah speaks up and says, hey, maybe we shouldn't kill him. Let's just sell him off as a slave. I don't know which one's worse. I mean, I know they're both bad, but I've always said, and you'll understand this if you're parents, as a young child, I've always said, and maybe, hmm, I would rather my child almost die than to be kidnapped by somebody, and I didn't know where they were, and I didn't know what was happening to them, if they were being abused or tortured. You know what I'm saying? I, I mean, I don't know. I've never been in that situation, so again, I'm not, I'm not saying that, but I can't imagine It would have been awful if they killed Joseph, but it was awful to sell him off into slavery too, not knowing what he was going to experience. I mean, here he is going into the hands of some of enemies. Ishmaelites and Israelites, as you know, are not um, still to this day are in conflict with one another. But quickly, if you turn over to Genesis 43, 33, I think it's interesting, and most of you know the story. Uh, Before I read this scripture, you know the story. Joseph goes into slavery. He ends up in Potiphar's house. He's there with Potiphar. He rises to the top. Potiphar says, this guy can do great things. He can uh, help manage my household. His wife, um, her name, uh, Potiphar's wife, it doesn't say her name, but she kind of stepped in the same, actually, uh, role as Jezebel. Uh, She had that same... uh, spirit on her. And you have to be careful of that. It always wanting to try to come and take you out. And so she uh, makes advances toward Joseph. He says, no, I'm not doing that. That would dishonor God. It would dishonor my master. And she actually, he's running away from her and she grabs his coat, you know, the story, grabs his garment and tears it off and then screams and says, he came and took advantage of me. So they believed her over Joseph, because he was a slave, he gets thrown into prison. He ends up rising to the top in prison. The prison, he gets in charge. He's doing really well. Then he starts uh, uh, interpreting dreams, and he ends up, you know, at the with Pharaoh, interpreting Pharaoh's dream. He gets taken out of prison, and now he is second in command in, in Egypt. All right, so all of this happens again, and God is working in all of this, even though, again, what the enemy might have intended for evil, right? God turns it around. God can turn around whatever seat we're in today. Maybe we've been betrayed. Maybe we've been the betrayer. Maybe we have found ourselves sitting in the seat of betraying someone and turning ourselves in a bad way. But soon, in 4333, they were sitting in the seat of the betrayer, but then they end up It says in 33, and they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked in astonishment at one another. 
when they came and Joseph, need, it was the famine and Joseph was going to give them food. He sat them. He wanted to fix the dinner for them and he sat them in birth order. They still did not know who he was. It'd be like if nobody knew who I was and my children came to my house. I'm like, I want Spencer, Stewart, Abby, Salon, Micah, Leah, Hannah, Harvest, Levi, David, Juby, Hosanna. I want y'all to sit there. We used to, in fact, time ourselves and see who could say that the fastest. We would time it, didn't we, <laughs> Leah? Abby, uh, Spencer Stewart, Abby Sloan, Michael, Leah, Hannah, Harvest, Levi, David, Jesus, Hosanna. Anyway, we would time ourselves. So who could say the children in order? What you do in a family of 12, these fun times. Um, but Joseph knew his brother's order, and he sat them in order. So they found themselves first in the seat of betrayal, but then they find themselves in the seat of astonishment. Because here they are, they're in birth order, and they're like, what is going on? We are seated from oldest to youngest. How did we get here? And then you know how the story turns out. Joseph reveals himself to them and the mercy of God walks in the room and they begin to see all of the things that they had done. That betrayal just washes away. And Joseph said, look, don't be afraid. I'm not gonna harm you. In fact, I'm going to provide for you and all of your family, all your little ones. And then quickly, I just wanna say, and this is one of the positives. I have a lot of different seats, but at the end, uh, and I'll bring this out in Jacob, in Genesis 48 too, just a few chapters, over when Jacob finds out his son uh, is not in fact dead and killed by an animal it says he sits up on his bed and rejoices when he begins to he's getting ready to see his son for the first time in years and years so you may find yourself sometimes in the seat of rejoicing and when something that has been uh, gone wrong or been bad for so long, all of a sudden the answer comes, you find yourself in the seat of rejoicing. So quickly, I'll move on. So we find, uh, again, you may find yourself actually seated in the seat of the scornful. Psalm 1 says, and this would be one you, you chose to place yourself in. Now, Joseph couldn't help what seat he got put in. He got, put, he got betrayed and put in those seats. But God worked it out. But this one, Psalm 1-1 says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Now, the scornful actually means someone who is uh, mocking they're mocking, they're insulting, they are uh, ridiculing and doing things like that. We need to make sure that's a choice. And this is a big one, guys. Anything that has to do with this little guy right here, our tongue, it's the most powerful fire in our mouth. And actually, James speaks on it about our tongue. He says, blessings and cursing should not come out of the same mouth. He, he said it should not be. Salt water and fresh water cannot come out of the same spring. And he says that our tongue is a world of evil. He said, if we could tame our tongue, we would be able to tame our whole body. But how many know God can tame the tongue? We can't tame it. We can be like, oh, count to 10, do all these things. We can try in our own strength, but only God, the power of God 
can help us uh, work on our mouth and on our tongue. But it says, do not sit in the seat of the scornful. We need to make sure those are, again, choices that we can make. Like, I'm not going to uh, live in scorn or mockery or insult. I'm not going to put those people down. I'm not going to say that rude comment about someone. This is huge, especially young people. I'm talking to y'all. Y'all are mostly over there. And and even even some older people, I, I, I have been around, and I know that I've been guilty of it uh, at times, whether you say something negative about somebody. This is a, it may seem small, but really it's a big deal because God said, don't sit in the seat of the scornful. When we choose to say something negative, insulting, cutting towards someone else, we're sitting, we're sitting in the seat of the scornful. So I ask you again this morning, what seat are, how, where are you seated? Where are you seated? Maybe you're, you are seated in the seat of fear. Maybe you've been in fear before or you find yourself in fear. Uh, the priest Eli, actually in 1 Samuel here, um, 1 Samuel 4, 13 through 18. Um, you can put that up if you want to. We find the priest Eli because uh, the, they were in battle <clears throat> against the Philistines and his sons, Hophni and Phinehas, uh, which obviously were not good sons. They had made some really poor choices, uh, but they decided in the middle of battle because the Philistines were beating them, they're like, aha, I have an idea. Let's take the Ark of the Covenant into battle. Bad decision. Bad decision. You don't move the the presence of God, the ark of God, and and just take it into battle. It ends up being captured. If you have read your Bible and understand or, or have heard this before, it actually gets captured. Both of his sons get put to death. A messenger is running up to tell the priest Eli. He's sitting at the gate, and he sit while he's seated. And it said, even then, let me read that here. First Samuel four. Starting in 13, now when he came, there was Eli sitting on a seat by the wayside watching for his heart trembled or fearful for the ark of God. And when the man came into the city and told it, all the city cried out. When Eli heard the noise of the outcry, he said, what does this sound of this tumult mean? And the man came quickly and told Eli. Eli was 98 years old and his eyes were so dim he could not see. Then the man said to Eli, I am he who came from the battle and I fled today from the battle line. And he said, what happened, my son? So the messenger answered and and said, Israel has fled before the Philistines, and there's been a great slaughter among the people. Also, your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead, and the ark of God has been captured. Then it happened when made, he made mention of the ark of God, the presence of God, that Eli fell off of the seat backward by the side of the gate, and his neck was broken, and he died, for the man was old and heavy and had judged Israel 40 years. Eli finds himself seated in this seat of fear. And again, you may think, okay, well, he couldn't help it that someone else chose to take the Ark of the Covenant into battle. But I, again, say because of earlier choices in Eli's life and not dealing with the sin in his children's life and in 
and making sure things were holy in the, in the house of God, he was allowing things to happen that shouldn't have been happening. And because of that, he found himself in fear. So again, we always have to back out when we find ourselves in a seat. If it's a seat of fear, a seat of, of scornful, a seat of deceit, a seat of deceit, uh, being deceptive, we have to ask ourselves, how did we get here? How did we get in this seat? I mean, what happened back here that caused us to get to this place that we are so fearful or we are so worried or we are so uh, troubled over this situation, maybe not taking it to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, maybe not taking it to the throne room of God. He says, you have open, open access, boldness to enter into the throne room of God. Uh, next, maybe you found yourself at times, I know I have, and I can look back and really find myself throughout history, throughout my 54 years being like, I've been in these seats. I've sat in some of these seats, in a lot of them. And I look back and I could testify again how God has worked in that and taught me something or, uh, and how it happened. But maybe you're seated in a seat of sorrow. Maybe there's sadness in your life because of a circumstance that has happened in your life. Um, we find Hagar in the seat of sorrow when she, obviously Hagar was uh, Sarai's maidservant and Sarai was barren and she couldn't have children for Abraham. So she's like, hey, I have an idea. <laughs> these ideas, some of these ideas. Let's take the ark into battle. Um, Sarai says, I have an idea. Why don't you, Abraham, sleep with my maidservant, Hagar, and have a son? And then that way, you know, he could be my son, our son, our heir, because I'm not having any children. Again, Hagar, uh, she finds herself in a predicament. That's a bad seat to sit in, right? That she had to, uh, to experience this. So Hagar, Abraham, uh, Hagar gets pregnant by Abraham, and then she finds herself being despised and rejected by her mistress, and so she runs away into the wilderness, but it says she sat her son down over by uh, these little bushes, and then she gets an earshot away and begins to cry because she's like, I'm just going to have to, I don't want to watch him die. I can't sit here and watch him die. I'm in sorrow. I'm in, I'm in pain because here I am going to have to watch him after they were sent away. But God, but God, he showed up again. He, he said, hey, Hagar, I heard your son crying, so I'm going to let you know that I'm going to take care of this situation. Amen. All right. So maybe we found ourselves uh, seated on idols. Rachel did. Uh, Rachel, I talked about earlier, Jacob's beloved wife. Uh, when they fled from Laban, her dad, and were going out to uh, live out, out, of, out from Laban, uh, Laban chases them. He finds out his household gods are gone. His idols, he's like, where, where are my gods, my little gods? Gee, um, you know, gar carving images, graven images. He's like, where, where are they? And so he chases them down. And Rachel literally sits on them in her tent. She hides these idols underneath her. So I ask us, are we seated on idolatry? Do we, are we hiding things in our lives? Sometimes y'all know what idolatry is? Most of you, yeah, that have been discipled know any excessive devotion. 
Anything we're excessively devoting ourselves to can become idolatry in our lives. So Rachel is literally sitting on the idols and hiding them under her so that her father can't find the household gods. So if we are seated on idols, if we find ourselves uh, in idolatry, again, we just need to surrender to the Lord. Uh, God is a forgiving God. I mean, I look through these stories and I'm like, wow, some of these people have done some crazy, like especially Joseph's brothers. But do you know how big the mercy of God is? Do you know how huge the forgiveness of God is? He is a loving and forgiving God. And there is nothing, nothing that is impossible with God. Nothing that is impossible with God. Maybe you find yourself seated on uh, the seat of false satisfaction. We think something else is going to satisfy satisfy us. Well, I, I think I would rather do that. I think this would be better for me. I want to do this. I want to do that. Rather than, you know, just going with Andre Crouch. He said, only Jesus can satisfy your soul. I mean, really nothing in this world can satisfy. Only the Lord can satisfy us. And so the Israelites in Exodus 16, three, I'll just read that really quick. They find themselves seated on false satisfaction. Did I write 16.3 on there? That's the wrong scripture. But I'll tell you, they were talking, they were complaining and grumbling because Moses had taken them out of Egypt and uh, they're out in the wilderness. Hadn't really been out there that long, but they begin to complain because they're dissatisfied. It wasn't like they thought it was going to be. It wasn't the food they thought they were going to get. And they begin complaining and saying, when we sat around the meat pots in Egypt... When we, when we sat around and we, we got to eat the leeks and the onions and all these things, they began to, that's a false satisfaction though. They didn't realize they were in slavery while they were sitting around the meat pots. And sometimes we sit around meat pots and have no idea that we're in bondage. Have no idea of the things that are entangling us because we, want, we don't want to leave that meat pot. We don't want to leave the, the pleasantries or the things that maybe we think we like. And maybe we're like, I don't want to eat manna every day for 40 years. You know, but they wandered around for 40 years in the desert and it says their clothes didn't wear out, their shoes didn't wear out. God provided what they needed every single day. But yet because of their hardness of heart and because they were stiff necked and because they'd rather be sitting in slavery by their meat pots, they had to continue to walk around and walk around the wilderness for 40 years till all of the ones that didn't believe or that died off and a new generation had to be raised up and say, we can take the land. And they even sent out spies. They sent out 12 spies. 10 of them came back and said, we can't do it. There's giants over there. We're just little grasshoppers. We can't win. You know, we can't do this. And, And Joshua and Caleb of the younger generation are like, we can take them. We can do this with God. We can do this. We, we, we can go in and take this land. I mean, they're carrying grapes on poles between their shoulders for goodness sake. This was a good land flowing with milk and honey, but yet you had some that wanted to be sitting at the meat pots. 
they they didn't they didn't want to partake of the goodness and the newness and the freshness of God. They would rather go back to what they were in. Because number one, sometimes we become f- familiar, and we we sometimes just don't want to be uncomfortable, we get comfortable in our sorrow. We get comfortable in our bondage. We get comfortable in the things that we think are comforting our flesh, but we got to break out from that thing. Moses is like, come, let my people go. I say that this morning, let my people go. If you've got things in your life that you're like, I am, I am, I am done with sitting around the meat pot, man. I'm done with the beans and the lentils and the onions and the leeks. I, I'm going after the manna. I don't know about you, but I'm going after the manna because you know what manna is really? Jesus, this is uh, the Old Testament is a foreshadowing. Everything in the Old Testament is a prophetic picture. It's a foreshadowing of what's in the New Testament. And how many of you know that Jesus just shows up on the scene and tells his disciples, he's like, you remember when? God provided manna in, in, and rained down manna in the wilderness to the children of Israel. He said, let me tell you something. I am the bread of life. I am the one that came down from heaven. So manna is Jesus. Jesus is manna. It, I mean, that's the way it works. So when you decide I'm not eating the meat of this world anymore, I'm not going to sit around this meat pot and stay in bondage. I'm going over here and I want to eat the bread of life. I want to partake of Jesus and it'll change your life. All right. So maybe you find yourself seated in the seat of distress. I know a lot of these are negative, uh, but we're going to get to some of the positive seats, but here's the deal. We all live in this world, right? There are, he said, if you live in this world, you will have tribulations, but be of good cheer for I've overcome the world. But again, it doesn't mean that we're free from tribulation. It just means that he can help us overcome tribulation. So the King Saul, he was sitting in the seat of distress. It said when he would sit down, he would become distressed because he had this turmoil inside of him, this rage, this jealousy, and he would sit in this seat of distress and he would have to call for David to come and play the harp so that the Lord, uh, so that that evil spirit would lift off of him. Maybe you find yourself in a seat of distress sometime and you're like, I'm so stressed out. And, and, and maybe you do the same thing. You're like, I'm going to put on some worship music. I'm going to sit down and I'm going to let the Lord minister to me. And it lifts whatever you need to do to allow the Lord to help you uh, get that distress off of your life. Do it. Maybe you find yourself like the man of God in 1 Kings 13. He found himself sitting at the prophet's table, but yet he had been deceived. He's sitting at the prophet's table, but yet the Lord told him, don't eat anything in that country. Don't drink anything in that country. And and he finds himself in a situation where he had to make decisions. And we find ourselves every day. And, and I can't remember which prophet it was. Is it Habakkuk or Haggai? It says, um, uh, people in the valley of decisions. I don't know how that goes. It just left me there. But uh, there's so many people. We're we're sitting in the valley of decisions every day. We tell our children this. We're like, do you know how many choices you have to make a day? 
how many decisions you have to make a day just to get up out of the bed. Out, uh, you have to make a decision to get up out of the bed and seek God. And even if you don't feel like it, you have to choose, okay, I'm gonna make this choice. Or you have to choose, I'm gonna eat breakfast today. Or I'm gonna fast breakfast today. Uh, I'm gonna choose to wear uh, black pants and a black vest and whatever color, taupe shirt today. I'm gonna choose to wear my hair down instead of up. I'm gonna choose to wear heels or flats. I mean, you know, you guys don't have to make that decision, but the girls do. You know, I was thinking that this morning and I thought, you know, when Pastor Greg ready to preach, he rolls in the bathroom at five minutes till he's leaving, jumps in the shower, does this deal, puts on an awesome looking suit and walks out. And I'm, I was sitting there like rolling my hair around the curling iron and then I was like I was like man this is almost not you know like he looks good he can roll in here in five minutes and look good and and, and it took me a little bit longer to get ready uh, in the natural and in the spirit I'm seeking God all last night we come out and have family devotions I go back in I get back up this morning and I'm like man I think Pastor Greg gets words faster than I do. I don't know but he's been doing it he does it a lot more than I do but uh, that's kind of a joke but God is faithful. But yeah, finding yourself uh, like the man of God. Maybe you find yourself discouraged like the prophet Elijah sitting under the broom tree. Woo, been there, done that. Everybody say, I bought that t-shirt. That you have done something great and mighty. It's been awesome. You've done great exploits, man. You have kicked the devil in the teeth, called down fire from heaven, killed all the prophets of Baal. Next thing you know, you're sitting under the broom tree discouraged, depressed. Oh God, I'm the only one left. Just go ahead and kill me. Literally, he was like, oh, this is awful. Maybe you found yourself there. You're discouraged. Maybe you found yourself, and I know, I know you, ha I know each one of us have found ourselves here, but some deeper than others. And that's where I want to get really serious. Maybe you found yourself seated in grief. Job found himself sitting in ashes and grief, scraping his sores because he had lost everything, everything. He found himself in a place of grief, or it said he sat in ashes. And that's what people would do in the Old Testament when things became... When they would get upset, if someone died, if something terrible happened, they would rip their clothes, put on sackcloth, and sit in ashes and put ashes on their head because they were mourning. They were in mourning. And this is Job. He finds himself in mourning over his, his situation. And some of you have had lost loved ones. You have had uh, hard things happen to you, maybe at work or in your finances. And I want you to know that God is near to the brokenhearted. This morning, if you find yourself in ashes, you find yourself in grief sometimes, and you feel like you can't pick yourself up off of the ash, ash heap, I'm telling you, God is able to to comfort you. He is able to sustain you. I could ask some of my sisters right now that have walked through it, looking at Denny right now, 
she was sitting in a heap of ashes in her life when she lost her husband. But I've watched her. I've watched her turn to the Lord time and time and time and time and time again. And it doesn't quit. You have to continue to look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. Because you know what? If we don't continue to look into Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, we'll die in the ash heap ourselves. We will. We find Nehemiah. Maybe you find yourself, and I hope we're going to start turning the corner here into some places that we want to find ourselves. Nobody wants to find themselves in sorrow. Nobody wants to find themselves in grief. Nobody wants to find themselves in ashes. Nobody wants to find themselves in deception. Nobody wants to find themselves sitting at the meat pot in bondage. We don't really want to, but we choose it sometimes. It's like getting on that roller coaster. I mean, you're on the top and you're like, man, I'm in bondage up here. <laughs> I can't get down. I mean, literally, I, it's terrible. But Nehemiah, in Nehemiah 1, Nehemiah finds out about, he, he asks, how, how, are, how are my folks? How's the children of Israel? How, how are the people? He's in captivity. He's been living in captivity for generations now that when Babylon came in and took over Jerusalem, they pulled Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and then it goes on down to where you have Mordecai and Esther. And I mean, there's just so many for generations that now have been in captivity. And Nehemiah is there, and he actually is a cupbearer. He goes in before the king and gives him his wine, taste it, and make sure he's not going to get poisoned. He's going to lay his staff down, basically, for the king. But Nehemiah is, he's a cupbearer, for goodness sake. He's not a preacher. He's not, he, he literally is carrying the cup of wine into the king that's not even a king of Israel. This is a foreign king. And here he is, and he asks, How is Jerusalem? How, how are my people doing? And he gets report that the walls are torn down and the people are in distress. And it says he sits down. And begins to weep and mourn and fast. He goes into intercession. I want to find myself in the seat of intercession. Now, I don't want, again, there's, there's grief that is happening to us. That's a horrible place. But when the burden of God is given you for someone else and it leads you into a place of intercession, that's a seat I want to learn to take. Even though it's not fun. Sometimes, sometimes it's not fun to feel the burden of the Lord for someone. But that's why in this house we're teaching about prayer. We're teaching about intercession because it makes a difference. Nehemiah did not stay in the ashes. He did not stay there. He began to intercede for his people and he did something about it. And God began to change the trajectory of the people of God. Another time we find um, in Psalm 137 during captivity, um, in Psalm 137, it says that the people of God, they were so upset that they hung their harps on the willows, on the willow trees. They decided we're not going to sing anymore. They said, we can't sing the songs of Zion anymore because we're in captivity. We've been, we've been, uh, you know, we, these, when we sing songs of Zion, it's because we're happy. And the people would be like, sing some songs for us in Babylon. Matt, why don't you sing some of your worship songs, you know, now that we've got you in captivity over here in Babylon. You know, like, I don't want to pick up my guitar. I've hung my harp. I've hung my guitar on the willow because I'm not in my homeland anymore. I'm not with my people. 
I've somehow I've been taken away from the peace that I've lived in. And some of you have been taken away from the peace that you once knew in the Lord. But here's what they said also. They said, but you know what? If I ever quit glorifying God, let the tongue stick, stick to the roof of my mouth. We can never stop. We can never stop singing the songs of Zion. We can never stop glorifying God. God, it, instead of saying, you know, oh, for a thousand tongues to sing, this guy writing this song, he's saying, man, I wish I had a thousand tongues to sing the praises to God. Because if one's not enough, no, I need two. No, I need three. No, I need four. I'm going to do like Eliza. She said, I can count to a hundred. And then she starts one, two, three. So you know you're going to stand there a while. That's all right. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise. These people in captivity, and if you find yourself again in the seat of captivity and bondage and things that have led you away from your peace, pick up, pick up your song again. Pick up that instrument again. Pick up that praise again. Like we said here, I'll praise on the mountain. I'll praise in the valley. I probably don't have the right words. And when she said, I, I, we put that lyric up there, that song we sang about praise. That one, so good. I'm almost done. What time is it? Yes. I've got a few more minutes. I'm sorry to put you on the spot, but the one we did about, sometimes you've got to dance through the darkness, sing through the fire. Praise when it don't make sense. Bad grammar. Sometimes you've got to... Sorry. Sometimes you've got to... That's bad too. Uh, wow. My English is coming out. Sometimes you've got to stare down the giant, worship from the lion's den. Sometimes you've got to shout it from the mountain, louder in the valley, trusting that he's going to get you there. Sometimes you've got to welcome the wonder, wait for the answer, worship with your hands in the air. I'll praise you anywhere. Praise, give him praise, give him praise in the highest praise. Give him praise, give him praise. Highest he, I don't, is worthy. Yes, he is worthy of all of our praise. How about being in prison with uh, Paul and Silas? That was a seat they couldn't get out of. Hey, they were stuck in shackles. They were in chains and they had been put in this prison. They didn't put themselves there. Someone else put them there. But what they begin to do Praise the Lord, and before you know it, the shackles broke off, and the, the earthquake began to shake, and things began to happen, and they began to see a great victory. Amen? We can find ourselves seated in pride or seated in humility. Jesus tells a parable in Luke 14. He says, hey, when you go somewhere, don't, don't, don't try to take the seat of honor. Don't, don't go in a banquet and sit up where you think you're the most important. These are good things to ask yourself. Do I sit in pride or do I sit in humility? 
I know I've, I've sat in pride before and thought that I was the special one in the room, right? I used to think that all the time. In fact, any room I walked in, I thought that I was God's gift to the world. God had to show me a better way. But he tells them in this parable, he said, hey, don't come in and try to take the seat of honor because if you do, you may be humiliated and say, hey, I'm sorry, Jonathan, that seat, do you mind? There's a seat back there in the back because this is not really, this is, this was reserved, you know. But if you come in and you sit in the lowest seat, it says, the guest of honor will be like, hey, Abigail, you're not supposed to be sitting back there. Come up here, sit up here with me. Right? So we need to make sure we're taking the right seat. Oh, I meant to say that when you're in the valley, maybe you're in pain and you have things going on with you physically, you have things going on with you emotionally, financially, whatever it is, whatever seats you find yourself sitting in. Look, just roll that thing up here. Roll it up here like Mike Hicks. He's <laughs> roll it up here, buddy. And there he goes, other leg. He, I mean, I loved it. I was like sitting there thinking about how. You, even when you're in a challenge in your life, he just rolls that thing up here and begins to praise, give him praise, give him praise in the highest. Amen. You know, Jesus found himself in the seat of temptation with the devil face to face. But he won because he used the word of God. So again, I could go on. There's so many more seats all throughout here, but I want to get to these few that are really good to end out here. Ruth found herself in a seat of favor. Ruth was a Gentile, had lost her husband, moved to a completely foreign land, didn't know anybody other than her mother-in-law. But God opens up a seat of favor. Boaz said, I want you to come and sit among the my workers here, and you're going to be safe. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to give you food, and I'm going to give you grain. I'm going to give you what you need. So Ruth found herself in a seat of favor, and that's we want to find ourselves there. Ephesians 2, 4 through 7, I want to end with this. David found himself in 2 Samuel 7, 18, seated before the Lord. Just seated before the Lord, the presence of God. I don't know about you, but that's where I want to find myself. Seated before the presence of God. I want to be like Mary, right? Sitting at the feet of Jesus. Just learning, just listening. Here's the biggest seat I want to find myself at is the mercy seat of God. I mean, the mercy seat. I could have just preached on just the mercy seat of God. We need to find ourselves there. But I want to end right here in Ephesians 2, 4 through 7. Let's turn there. While you're turning there, uh, another sweet one was Song of Solomon 2, 3. It says they were seated in the shade of the beloved. And as the bride of Christ, we want to find ourselves seated in the shade of God in that place. Cause when you, you know, when you're hot, blistering hot, but you just find that little bit of shade, it's like refreshing, even though, I mean, it changes the temperature, maybe just a little, but you're like, Oh, can I just get a shade tree up here? Because it's so hot, but the shade of God in our lives, when we get those times that we need the shade, Ephesians two, four through seven, this is something that's been prepared for us. It's something that's been offered to us. It's not something we have to fight or work or do anything good enough to be in. This is something that God 
through Jesus Christ has given to us. And this is the, I want to end with this. I want to start in 4.1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentle. No, I'm supposed to be Ephesians 2. I apologize. Sorry about that. I don't know why I wrote four. Oh, I wrote two, four through seven. Okay, I'll start with one though. And you, he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. All of us have been seated in the seats of of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life. Because I know that because the scripture says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all know we have all had times in our lives where we were seated in these places, in these places of sin or distress or sorrow because we live in a fallen world. We live in a world that has sin in it. But God, in verse four, everybody say, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, even when we were sitting in the ashes, even when we were sitting in the meat, at the meat pots, even when we were sitting in scorn toward other people or toward God, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Jesus has made a way because he came down so that we can go up. It's kind of the same thing Pastor Greg says, the son of God became a son of man so that sons of men could become sons of God. Jesus left his seat in glory. He left his throne in glory and came down and lived among us and lived a life and went through temptations and went through all of the things. But he did that and died and rose again. And now he's seated in heavenly places uh, at the right hand of God, making intercession for us so that he can make us alive so that we can be seated with Christ in heavenly places. And do you know when you're seated with Christ in heavenly places, you know what you're above? All principalities and powers and rulers of wickedness in high places. Because if we stay down here and we're living down here and sitting at the meat pots and sitting on our idols, guess what? We're not, we don't have any authority or dominion over powers and principalities. But when we're seated with Christ, we do. So if you'll stand together with us this morning, thank you so much for your attentiveness. Thank you for being here this morning. I'm going to give an opportunity as we begin to worship this morning and sing. If, you've, if you're seated somewhere today that you're like, you know what? I don't need to be sitting here. I'm not going to sit here anymore. I'm going to go and I'm going to ask the Lord to continue to seat me in the seat with him in heavenly places. I'm going to run to the seat of mercy. I'm going to run to the mercy seat this morning because I need the mercies of God. I'm going to run to that place 
that I need this morning. So as we begin to sing, God, I come before you. I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, that you're merciful, you're faithful, you're full of goodness and truth. Lord, we thank you, God, that you can change us. You can um, transform us. God, you can pick us up out of the miry pit and set our feet upon a rock. Lord, we thank you that, that you reached down for us, Lord. You came down and reached down for us, Lord, so that we can be seated with you. We give you glory this morning, Lord. I trust that you are encouraged and inspired by the word of God today. Once again, I want to say thank you for joining us on this podcast. It's very important that after you receive the Word of God to make sure it gets sealed in your heart. I'd like to do that with you. I'd like to pray with you that we can tuck it away in our hearts and that we let the Word of God have free course, move swiftly in us, and it would glorify God. You know, the Word of God is a seed. You can expect results out of it. You can expect fruit out of it. You can expect something to be produced. Again, I'm so thankful that you joined us. Now allow me just a moment to pray with you. Father God, we come to you in the wonderful name of Jesus, the Word of God Himself. And I thank you for the Word that has been heard. I thank you for the Word that has been received. And Lord, now I ask that it gets covered up and it gets protected and locked and lodged in our hearts, Lord. And Father, I pray that you would water it. I pray that you would nurture it, that you would bring the light and revelation that it needs. And I pray that it produce good fruit in each and every heart that has received it today. I ask this in Jesus' name. I do this at the end of every service at the church. I want to do it with you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you. And may the Lord find great delight in you. And may you find great joy in him. May the Lord provide for you. May the Lord protect you. And may the Lord give you peace, peace. God bless you. Thanks for joining us.